This is my sister, Sola. Hello, Anakin. Hello. And this is my mother. Hello. You made it just in time for dinner. I hope you're hungry, Anakin. A little. He's being polite, Mom. We're starving. Well, you've come to the right place at the right time. Honey, it's so good to see you safe. We were so worried. Dear. I know, I know. But I had to say it. Now it's done. Did you know, Anakin, you're the first boyfriend my sister's ever brought home? He's not my boyfriend. Anakin's a friend. We've known each other for years. He's a Jedi assigned to me by the Senate to protect me. A bodyguard? Oh, Padme, they didn't tell us it was that serious. It's not, I promise. I'm not in any danger, Mom. Is she? Yes, um, I'm afraid she is. Welcome, everyone, from across the universe to the Wampa's Lair podcast. Star Wars is for everyone, so pull up a chair, get comfortable, and join the conversation with your hosts, Carl LeClaire and Jason Hunt, here in the Wampa's Lair. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another exciting episode of the Wampa's Lair podcast. This is episode number 465, Attack of the Clones Novel Review. I'm, as always, one of your hosts, Jason Hunt, and with me, the Anakin Skywalker and Plo Koon. To my kit fisto, we've got Carl LeClaire and our buddy Jazz from Norway! <laughs> hey. What's up, Jazz? I'm so excited to have you back on the show, buddy. I'm so excited to be here, guys. It's going to be fun. Uh, you know, been, since, since I've been got entirely too long. Yeah, well, and like, since we're all here together, what do you, what do you gents say to hopping into a GNOC and arena and like just, you know, getting after some battle droids? Me? Oh, heck yeah. It's what I'm here for, so. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, oh my gosh. So as you all know, we are in the midst of Attack of the Clones Celebration Month. Like we said, we're going to be celebrating all things Attack of the Clones in celebration of the 20th anniversary later in May. Um, and uh, last week, of course, we we hit the soundtrack. This week, the other, the other pre-release to the movie, of course, was the novel, which was released. Oh, shoot. I forgot to look up the release date. My bad. But I know it came out before the movie. Jason's on it right now. Um and uh yeah so we 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 all reread it jazz is uh other than jason no actually i take that back even in even in let me rephrase this everybody i apologize i'm stumbling over my words the only star wars fan in my circle that has attack of the clones is their favorite movie of all it's jason's <laughs> second but their favorite of all of course that is you jazz my friend oh hell yes <laughs> i the only reason it's not my favorite is because I have such a nostalgic love for Return of the Jedi. So, um, but yes, yeah, Attack of the Clones. Like, I've got the whole nostalgic thing with Return of Jedi because I was the first one I ever saw in a theater as well. So I do have like a love for that. But Attack of the Clones definitely does it for me. <laughs> and Jazz, That's isn't awesome. Return of the Jedi your second favorite? Um, yeah, I think so. It's, I, I've done that, like, uh, test quite a few times, and I think it's popped between the second and third. That's right, because it goes between that and Revenge of the Sith, if I remember right. Exactly, yeah. yeah. That is so, correct. There we go. So, um, so, so Jazz and I just switched number one and two, that's yeah. all. 
Exactly. Um, <laughs> and this is why I'm drawn um, to, this is why you both are two of my favorite Star Wars friends. So <laughs> <laughs> Um, the uh, the release date for the Attack of the Clones novel was April twenty third, two thousand and two. That's the same date as the soundtrack. That's awesome. Yeah. So just a few days uh, ago, twenty years ago. That's awesome. Are you two? Do you guys read the novel before you saw the movie? I don't remember to be honest, Jazz. I know I did not read the Phantom Menace or Revenge of the Sith ones. I did read a leaked script for Attack of the Clones before I saw the movie. Oh, um, really? Yeah, okay. but I don't think I read the novel first. Did you? Oh uh, no, I I had the novel. I bought the novel, um, and it sat there tempting me for like two, no, about three weeks. <laughs> um, but you waited. And the movie came out on the sixteenth. I saw it on the sixteenth, and then I read. It. I started reading it when I got home. <laughs> Sounds about right. What about you, Jason? No, I, did, did you read it? Before? I, no, I have never read any of the novels before the movies okay. um, because I just I, – I, I want to experience the movie for the first time. Um, exactly. Well, I take that back. Take that back. Revenge of the Sith, I almost held out. <laughs> almost. But I got the, the storybook, like the little like 30-page kids storybook with the pictures in it. I got that the week – the movie came out and I think I read it like on Wednesday and we went and saw it on Friday or something okay. like that. So I almost held out, but <laughs> that one, it was just everywhere. Like yeah. I had friends who had a, uh, you know, we're reading scripts. I had, uh, friends who had a ripped copy of the movie and were watching it already, you know? Oh, so, Eddie? Oh yeah. What? Um, so like it was everywhere. Nobody could get enough of Revenge of the Sith, and so I, I kind of broke down uh, like earlier in the week. But other than that, no, I've never read the novel. Hmm. Well, novel I, very very spoiler free, not just of Star Wars, but movies in general. Hmm. Um, Sometimes I won't watch the trailers. I can't. I can't do any of that. I've 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 got to know it all before I see it if I can. Um, well, that's how I used to be for the longest time. I a little less so now. Um, but yeah, I am, I'm super excited to dive into this novel with both of you. Um, of course, written by R.A. Salvatore. Um, and, uh, this was what's really neat about R.A. Salvatore. Uh, I actually just finished reading Vector Prime. I'm doing a, a, a very shortened, uh, read of the New Jedi Order series for my, uh, Star Wars month of May. And I had a friend who just reread the whole series, uh, this past year. So I said, just tell me the f- the four most important books because I am not reading all 19. Um, but I just finished Vector Prime, which of course was written by R.A. Salvatore. And that was how we kind of created a relationship with Lucasfilm. And then they reached out to him to write the uh, Attack of the Clones books. And the Attack of the Clones book, I, I guys, I got to say, this book is awesome. And I'm super excited to talk it is, about it. Yeah. Um, um, I've read it a few times before, but... Not in a few years, and I'd actually forgotten quite a few of the finer points, and it is so good. So good. It is so good. And, and like, I would say this is true of all three of the prequel novels. I mean, even Phantom Menace by Terry Brooks was also phenomenal. I I feel like they each just, like, Terry Brooks' Phantom Menace novel is awesome. And then Attack of the Clones, 
I think is even a little bit better. And then, of course, Revenge of the Sith by our dearly beloved Matthew Stover is like God tier. So, like, yeah. <laughs> um, but all three of the prequel novels, if if you're a if you are a prequel fan who has not read these novels, I, I, I can't encourage you enough to read them. If you're, if you're not a big reader, maybe if you can get access to the audibles, um, whatever your preferred way of taking stories in. But I can't recommend these three books enough. They're so freaking good. Um, yeah. Re- this i basically felt like i was reading the script for um the attack of the clones radio drama because like if you think about the radio dramas for episodes four five and six especially four a new hope there's so much extra material that's added to the story and i felt that was what the case here with the attack of the clones yeah yeah the the way i described it as i was i i listened to it this time around i've I read the novel, I don't know, it was well over a decade ago, last time I read this book. Um, I still remembered some moments, though, so that was nice. As they came up, I was like, oh, yeah, I remember this. Uh, But uh, I listened to it this time on Audible, and the thing that kept popping into my head as I was listening to it is that this book is like the widescreen version of the movie. Mm. Um, You know, (laughs) Uh, it's... You know, it just gives a little bit extra on on all the ends uh, to give us some more stuff. And obviously, one of the things I was really excited about was that all the deleted scenes mm. from the 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 movie were in the, the novel. So, uh, yeah, yeah, um, plus extra, <laughs> plus yeah, plus a lot extra, and you know, um. You know, Jason, we were lucky enough to have Matthew Stover on here twice this past year. Um, And the first one was to have a dedicated conversation about his Revenge of the Sith novel. And something he shared with us was when he started writing it, he had the he just had, I think, um, you know, he had one of the one of the final drafts for the for the episode three script. Um, But then they continued making changes, which is why he had to make some last minute changes. And I'd love to get the story from R.A. Salvatore. I I forgot to do any research Mm -hmm. to see if there's any interviews out there with him when this came out. Um, But I'd love to hear like if it was a similar thing for him, because what I loved about this novel in the same way that I loved this about Revenge of the Sith, Revenge of the Sith, right? Like Matthew Stover really was intentional about telling this internal story, right? He wanted to get into the heads and the hearts of each character. R.A. Salvatore doesn't exactly do that, but he does a, he does something similar in the sense of like the majority of the story is really spent on the character arcs, um, right? Like the, the end battle, I think, is like 10 pages. Same with Revenge of the Sith. Like, I mean, we're told Yoda goes to Kashyyyk. We don't actually get the Battle of Kashyyyk, which I don't think we needed in the novel. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I, and I like that as well. Like the, the arena battle through the, you know, the whole like first battle of Geonosis, I think is maybe a grand total of 15 pages. The chunk of this novel is really the middle act, which is the story of Anakin and Padme. Um, and so I'm just going to kind of get into this. Like, so my general like thoughts on this book, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask both of you this question as well. But my general takeaway was that this was a really strong Anakin and Padme story. And I, again, I love this movie as well. Um, but on screen the the chemistry between Hayden and Natalie is n- not great um as much as i love the movie it's not great in my opinion um but if you read this story in the novel it's like oh i get why he fall like why well, i get why she falls in love with him which is something that never really comes across on screen for me um and that's what i really loved about the novel first and foremost is that it really does a good job of flushing out 
Anakin and Padme's romance story. Um, and then there's some other really good stuff about the, the uh, uh, well, there's lots of other really good stuff, but that was kind of my biggest takeaway. What, what was yours jazz? Like, as you reread this, um, no, I, I, I basically made, made a note, which kind of reflects what you just said now. And I said that the, the third act seems almost a little bit rushed compared mm. to the movie. And that's exactly the same thing that you said is like, you know, they've, they've concentrated more on acts one and two. Um, I've also made a few notes about like how they really do get into the characters' heads, especially Padman Anakin, but also like, you know, Shmi and you even get like, you know, insights into Cleek and Owen and Obi-Wan, of course, et cetera. And I love that. I mean, I've always been more interested in character arcs than anything else. So mm. this was just pure gold for me. Yeah. 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 I was laughing. I was really lapping it up, dude. <laughs> what about you, Jason? You- Here's the interesting thing about this novel is that I picked up on a theme that R.A. Salvatore wove into all of these things, into every single subplot, plot, and things. It's family. Mm. Um, it was, mm. you know, obviously Anakin and Shmi um, being a family, Shmi and the Larses um, and their family, uh, Anakin and the turbulent family situation he's got with Obi-Wan and the Jedi. It's mm. not quite a family, but it kind of wants to be. Um, Padme and Anakin trying to figure out if they're even going to be a family. Uh, and then, of course, the interesting one is Django and Boba. Yeah. You know? Yeah. That was that was an unexpected one um, that I, I really enjoyed, too. But he wove all of this the, these family things and themes in and out of the entire novel, which I thought was really cool. Um, and, and he ties it in even up until the end with, you know, Boba finding Django's helmet and remembering some stuff. And then of course, obviously we get the wedding at the end, but, um, <laughs> what, uh, you know, surprise, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, that, I think that was one of the, the big interesting takeaways from the novel overall. And the fact that it was that family. And then of course the, the relationship between Padme and Anakin really kind of took central center stage in this entire story um, mm-hmm. with the big galactic, you know, stuff happening in the background um, kind of as it is in the movie too, uh, to a, you know, lesser extent. So, mm. yeah. Yeah. Like um, all the things that I thought about um, basically reflected in what you said, but I never actually thought of it in those terms that basically it's all about family. That's mm-hmm. a, it was really, really well spotted, dude. Yeah. Yeah. That is, yeah. Good call, Jason. I, that, like, I knew, I mean, yeah, that's in there, right? And mm-hmm. great glean. Yeah. It was there. one of those things where I was, I was finishing it up last night. Um, and I was like, what is it? You know, there's, there's all these little things that he's really focusing in on. And there, it's a lot of the additional scenes deal with, you know, things in that theme. Um, and I was like, what, what is it that connects? Because, you know, I was trying to find a, a theme in it, and I was like, "It's family. It's everyone. You know, either living a family, wanting a family, thinking about a family. You know, uh, wishing for the family they had. You know, in Shmi's case, yes. Um, yes. You know, so yeah, it was it was just that kind of interesting thing, and I I, I found that very fascinating when I actually made that connection. Huh? It's a family movie. <laughs> that, and that oh my god jason I'm, I'm loving that because that's really 
so much of the the Anakin and Padme story. Like the, the they spend a lot of time with her parents in this book, right? And when we have some of those deleted scenes, I played one at the at the top of the episode here. Um, you know, it, what's funny is Disney Plus has added a bunch of deleted scenes for all of these movies, but not all of them. So if you want no. all of the Attack of the Clones deleted scenes, just go to YouTube or your old DVD if you have it. Right, um, exactly. But uh, that said, like it, it's it's there's such a, a a powerful statement of that at the opening of the story because we we spend um, so let, let's let's dive into it. Um, J- Jazz, you made a great. Being, um, you know, on the same lines with uh, Jason's point about family, I, mm-hmm. I did notice, like you know, at the beginning of the novel, you've got all of these things. Uh, it's focusing on Shmi and her interactions with Cleek and Owen and Baru. And it's her thoughts about Anakin. And I actually wrote that it's like, you know, there's a beautiful description of the homestead and the family life that they're living. Yeah. Um, it really did feel like family for the largest. Yeah. yeah. And, and well, and, and that's kind of like, I think the, a perfect point to like jump into what's, what's so unique to the novel is, you know, Jazz, I loved your point about kind of comparing this to the A New Hope radio drama, right? Um, it, again, the radio dramas are something Jason and I, if for any of you who've been with us a while, know we love them. We, we've played them several times on the show. But the A New Hope radio drama, the first three episodes are all prior to when the movie starts. I, the first 60-odd pages of Attack of the Clones novel is stuff that's not in the movie because um, mm. it, it – it, it's. I mean, it opens with a nightmare. It opens with Anakin having a nightmare about Shmi, essentially dying. And then, boom, all of a sudden we're on Tatooine. And like you said, Jazz, it establishes the family life of Shmi with the with the Larses. Um, and we get to see them joking and having fun. We get to see the f- it, it almost has a Western feel. I just I recently reread the John Jackson Miller Kenobi book um, for a book group I'm part of here in, in Boston. And. You know, like that book was written to be a Western. There's certain elements of the beginning of Attack of the Clones that have a little bit of that Western feel because it's a family of homesteaders. And there's this, you know, there's this threat that they live in the midst of every day because it's a dangerous climate to live in. Um, and that's really how it begins is is it sets up that they're in a dangerous environment. But what keeps them safe is the fact that they're a family, that they're close knit, that they they have each other, and that's how this book begins. And it's it's Shmi's pining for Anakin, and it's Anakin's fear of losing his mother, um, and it, that's how the book begins. And it's brilliant. Yeah, yeah. I totally. Agree. I mean, you know, the fact that Star Wars is a Western is a pretty you know well established fact, but you know, not very often do you feel it more viscerally as you do in that that scene. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought it was, yeah, it's just beautifully done. Yeah, no, it was, it was great. Uh, you know, we, we get, you know, the, the nice, you know, kind of now established life of the Lars home uh, and the fact that now they're getting ready to welcome someone else into the family again in Peru. <laughs> um, and I, you know, I love the fact that she's, you know, you know, throwing insults with Klieg, um <laughs> and then they get into a food fight yeah. Uh, and Owen is just as devoted to me as Anakin is mm-hmm. and all of this. And it's just a beautiful, beautiful scene. And then all of a sudden it's taken, yeah. you know, yeah. the, the, it's threatened and then taken away. And the, the Tuscan chase, the chase where the, the mm. homesteaders and the farmers go after the Tuscans to try and rescue Shmi is brutal. Yeah. It's yeah. absolutely brutal. And, you know, you, you hear it in the movie. Klieg tells Anakin, 
you know, 30 of us went out, only four of us came back. And it's like, that's a lot. And you, yeah. you know, you kind of just go, huh? Oh, that's, that's dangerous. Uh, but this actually kind of helps to tell how that happened. And, you know, yeah. just the brutality of that massacre because it was a massacre. Yeah. yeah that app was just brutal. It was absolutely terrible. Yeah. You know, I was, I was surprised that Cleek didn't, you know, bleed out or something because it sounded horrible. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Oh, yeah. It, and, and like, right, you're right. I mean, it, it's something, it's a, it's an, it's a quick, almost like one line thing in the movie that Cleek mentions, mm-hmm. like, which implies, right? Like, I really cared. Like, we did the best we could. But like in the novel, we get to see it. We get to see it before the events of the movie because, again, the book opens in this kind of – it opens with Anakin's nightmare, but then it immediately almost comes – then it immediately turns into this really like dream, dreamy place of like, again, a family life that is then, like you said, Jason, just utterly destroyed, utterly taken away from them. And we get to see the brutality of that. Um, so it's it's intense. Um and it makes yeah. it makes that scene when Klieg says it even more palpable. Um, and the fact that Owen is <laughs> Owen goes out with them, and he ultimately rescues Klieg when he's laying um, there in the sand, that, bleeding out. It's like, wow, uh, Owen's kind of a badass. So I I don't know. I I think we're gonna get to see a little bit of badass Owen in the Kenobi series coming up later later next month. So I don't know why, but that makes me so very very. M- <laughs> you and me both, buddy. <laughs> uh, um, uh, yeah. So, so like again, all of this. I mean, we also even get some scenes early in the book on Naboo. We see uh, Padme, you know, kind of talking with Panaka. Panaka's in the opening of the book, and he's helping to set up her security detail to go to Coruscant. And we we kind of hear her talking about why it's so important to her to go back to Coruscant. Right? She really wants to be present to make sure that that um, military creation act does not pass. I mean, Padme is a pacifist. She does not want an army. Interesting um, Panaka's point where he points out that, in fact, the Confederacy of Independent Systems would probably um, agree with her anti-war and anti-army sentiments. Right. Because, you know, then they wouldn't get attacked. Yeah. So she's basically playing into their hands. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It, it, and that's that point is brought up a couple of times, mm-hmm, you know, yeah. by several different characters in the, in in there, and then of course it, it kind of plays out at the end when when finally uh, it's revealed to her that yeah, Newt Gunray is the one trying to kill her, and he's like, mm-hmm. "This isn't business; it's purely personal." Yep. Um, yep. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, the only reference you really get to that in the movie is the fact that you know he wants her head on his desk. But you know, yeah. in the book, you get more of a sort of like focus on the fact that this is why it's happening. Right. Yeah, yeah. and and that's another. Uh, just this is just a general statement, but like another general thing in the in the novel that I thought was really well done is is really delving into the mystery of the plot right a, a lot of people in the early days of when this movie came out kind of were like that plot made no sense it was so like it was there were so much moving parts and you know now 20 years later we've had the advantage of the clone wars we've had the advantage of revenge of the sith like all these supplemental stories that have made it very clear what's going on in episode 2 mm-hmm. but you know what else makes it very clear the novel the novel does yeah. a really good job of explaining 
all those moving parts of the of kind of the what we might call the mystery plot. So like everything Detective Kenobi is doing is so much better fleshed out in the novel because again, we're getting a lot of it directly with why it's impacting Padme. Like you said, Jason, that several times it's brought up of like you would think the separatists would be a fan of her because she's she's in a way keeping them safe. But mm. then you essentially learn it's just really it's just a, a, a vindictive Newt Gunray. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, yeah, I'm I'm pretty sure Dooku's line is is literally, you know, it's not business. It's purely person. So yeah. <laughs> it's like I was like. It's a great line and a great, you know, and I was like, yep, that's exactly what it is. And you, you know, in the movie, you kind of get that when, when the arena battle is happening and Gunray is there just yeah, candidly like, fight at you Padme's know. pain. He's like, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's just like, oh yeah, this is, this is why, he, you know, she's been targeted. So mm-hmm. it's this, this idiot. <laughs> Anyway, yeah, Jazz, are you going to say something? No, no, I was just going to say that um, when when the movie first came out, like twenty years ago, I remember like wondering why do they actually want her dead? What's mm. that going to gain them? What are they going to get out of that? And it took me a while let, before I realized it's not what they're going to get out of it. It's just that they want to kill her because she like you know messed with their plans ten years ago. Yeah. Okay. Um, but you want to know something else, though, that we're given in the novel that also explains why they want her dead? Palpatine wants her dead. That's mm-hmm. made very clear. And and so, right. And this is a deleted scene that we get in the movie where she kind of she comes into the Senate to like because Palpatine reports that she's been assassinated and then she shows up and she's like, they didn't they weren't successful, but blah, blah, blah. I'm here and screw the military. <laughs> um, but in the <laughs> yeah. novel during that scene, Palpatine. And this was it made me think of one of my favorite scenes in the Revenge of the Sith novel is when Palpatine and Anakin and Obi-Wan are are fleeing from the invisible hand. And he and Palpatine tells Anakin to go on ahead and leave Obi-Wan with him and he'll take care of him, a.k.a. I'll kill him as soon as you leave. Right. Right. And that's and that was such a great moment. And this was a moment in the in the novel when Padme shows up in the Senate, Palpatine is he's shocked because he wanted her dead because she's impeding Mm -hmm. his plans for the clone war he wants the clone war to start and padme's trying to prevent that from happening so even palpatine did want her dead but as soon as she survives he again this is palpatine he has a new plan all right fine i'll put her with anakin (laughs) you know i'll I'll corrupt her in a different way um i'll get her out of the picture yeah, I was going to say, that's the great thing about Palpatine or Sidious. He always adapts to the situation. Mm-hmm. Things don't go as they plan, but he fixes it. Yeah. He's the best improviser oh, I've yeah. ever seen. <laughs> so, no question. Yeah. Um, one other little thing I, I noticed that I really liked at the beginning of the book is we have we get a couple scenes with the Jedi talking, like Mace and Yoda talking together before the events of the movie. Um, I don't know. This is not what I'm referring to. But also in that Senate scene before Padme shows up, the senators are throwing shade at the Jedi because they're like, even the Jedi can't keep her safe. So it it kind of introduces this plot, which again is just so cool because a, a through line throughout the Clone Wars TV series is the galaxy at large is really starting to become not only distrustful, but almost, um, like repulsed by the Jedi and in the attack of the clones novel in that Senate scene, we get the sense that 
a lot of the galaxy is starting to really second. They don't necessarily hate the Jedi, but they are they are starting to see cracks in the Jedi. Like they're they're mm. not these all powerful protectors. They're actually quite vulnerable. Um, so yeah, I thought that was really interesting. Yeah, nice little nice little detail that got kind of tucked in there. Uh, yeah, and it you know definitely helps to to build and establish things for later on. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, speaking of the uh, Senate and the Republic, I, I like the fact that they, you know, mentioned several times throughout the book how Padme is putting her love for the Republic ahead of her own personal interests. Yeah. And, you know, starting to question who is she really? What does she really want? Is this what she wants out of life just to serve and to serve and to serve and never to? And, you know, the fact that she sees her sister was at Sola mm-hmm. um, to you know, her nephew and her niece um, and sees that family and says, you know, that's something that I could have, but I'd have to give this other thing up. And this thing that I'd have to give up is the most important thing in my life. Am I actually willing to give it up? Yeah. And I love the fact, like, you know, playing around with that, that thought in her head, the whole novel. Mm. Yeah. Sola is definitely, you know, the catalyst for Padme in terms Mm. of, of thinking about stuff because they have a scene, you know, at the beginning of the book before she leaves to go back to Coruscant where she visits and Sola just like, you know, are you sure you don't want to like have a family and, you know, relax at some point in your life? Because at this point it doesn't look like you're going to stop anything for anybody, Um, you know, essentially. And then of course, Anakin comes in and then they go back to Naboo and Sola's like, uh, 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 (laughs) Padme's like, stop it. You know, like siblings. So, uh, but yeah, Sola is kind of like that catalyst to kind of that gets in Padme's head um, yeah. at the beginning of of the book, and it makes her start questioning things when things are going terrible. You know, it's like, is this really like what I want to be doing forever? And mm-hmm. then Anakin walks in and it's like, Ooh. I could that could that could happen. You know, yeah. do I want that? Is that the way it should be? Or is it just the way I want it to be? Yeah. And then she has to wrestle with should be like the the good of the galaxy versus the good of her, and and that's something that she struggles with the entire book. So I thought in many ways the novel acted a little bit the same way as the Clone Wars does because you know the Clone Wars gives us a more of an insight into Anakin and why he turns to the dark side, which we don't get in the movie because it's too short to go into those details. And this novel as well shows, you know, the, the thoughts that go through Padme's head deciding whether or not she wants a relationship with Anakin. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah. I'm glad you brought that up, Jason. I'm, but yeah, there's, I mean, there's a scene early in the novel where she's on, again, we talked about how she was on Naboo before she heads to Coruscant. And the first scene we get of Padme is her with her sister Sola and, and her niece and nephew. And mm-hmm. Sola is kind of saying, you know, like you said, Jazz, don't you want more out of life? So again, that's another thing that's played up in the novel that's not really there in the movie at all because they cut all those scenes to begin with. Um, but yeah. this sense of like um, – because I mean at the end of the day, the prequel trilogy becomes, especially with Revenge of the Sith, it really just becomes the story of Anakin, which is fine. That was what it was meant to be. Um, but unfortunately, mm-hmm. some of the other characters suffer as a result of that. Um, yeah. But But we get these scenes in the novel where – Padme's sister really brings up the idea of like, 
what what else do you want out of life? Like, is this all you want is to just be a public servant? Um, like, what do you want to be happy? And I will say, I think there's there's something slightly problematic that like to imply that the only other thing that out of out of life for her that could make her fulfilled is to be like married with children. Like not everybody is called to that either. <laughs> um, so, but like, Good. but I think what they're, you know, but they're just simply implying like, um, don't you like, she's just really asking, like, is there anything else you want more out of life? Because she sees the joy Padme feels with Sola feels that joy that Padme has for her children. So she's just saying like, wouldn't you want this too? Right. So, I mean, mm-hmm. I just, I put that as a positive, like of someone who, like in my own life, not so sure I want kids. So I don't think that makes me less than, <laughs> but, uh, uh, so, um, but, but all that to say, right. Like it is the Sola is, is the voice of like something different in life, mm-hmm. you know? Um, mm-hmm. and I, and I think that that's really a really powerful element to the story that we don't get really on screen, but is so good in the novel because, we, we really get a sense of what Padme's motivations are. So to kind of, to kind of start the book with her story being this story of what else do you want out of life? It makes so much sense that the encounter she has with Anakin then throughout the story are drawing her back to the reality of like, maybe I do want this. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Now, I'm, I'm glad you you brought up the Clone Wars jazz because there's a, a little a little nugget in there that I want us to grab on um, as sort of an Easter egg um, that the Clone Wars pulled from the novel. Um, and I don't know if it's necessarily the, a character that they pulled from the novel, but it's at least a name. Um, just a, a fun little Easter egg. Uh, in the scene where Anakin and Padme are on Naboo together and they're having dinner, uh, there's two servants that are serving them uh and one of them is named Tekla. Tekla is uh, yeah Tekla is her handmaiden is Padme's handmaiden uh during the Clovis arc yeah uh, that ends up getting killed um that is so, right of the clone wars so i thought that was really cool i was like oh i i, I don't know if it's supposed to be the same character it probably isn't probably but- yeah. But the Clone Wars decided to pull at least the name from the novel. So I thought that was a a nice little nod that I only figured out just this weekend. So (laughs) (laughs) that was really well spotted, dude. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So, um, yeah. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. So, you know, much of. Much of the beginning of the so when you know once she shows up of course on the movie then you know does kind of hit the plot right it's it's kind of the main points mm-hmm. moving forward for a lot of it um but again something I I kind of made this I brought this up earlier and then didn't follow through but there is a couple little scenes with Yoda and Mace um, that aren't in the movie and also aren't deleted scenes where they are talking about the fact that the Force seems to be ever more difficult to perceive the future through. Um, and yeah. yo, and this was never explicitly said in the movie. What was so fascinating in the book is it sounds like what Yoda's doing to try to see the future is he's actually meditating and, and de- delving into the dark side. Like he's not practicing with the dark side, but he's looking into the dark side to try to pierce this veil that's been cast over the force. Um, and then there's also a lot of times when they're talking they're 
it becomes very clear that this whole idea of like, yep, Anakin's the chosen one, sure, whatever, but they really don't know what it means to bring balance to the force. And that's something uh, Matthew Stover follows up on in his, you know, episode three novel when, when Obi, there's that great scene between Obi-Wan and Padme and Padme's like, well, I thought he was going to bring balance to the force. And Obi-Wan's response is, we don't really know what that means. <laughs> um, and, and I remember when we had Matt Stover on the show, he made a, 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 a a point to say like he's fr- he's pretty friendly with R.A. Salvatore so he talked to him before writing his novels so it makes sense that he may have taken some of those story points that R.A. Salvatore put on and yeah, carried them it forward on. yeah yeah and, and it's it's very interesting that you know they the Jedi are talking about you know Mason Yoda are talking about you know having to look into the dark side um and that's actually you know Yoda is meditating you know looking into the dark side when Anakin kills the Tusken Raiders and he hears mm-hmm. Qui-Gon right shouting no. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, R.A. Salvatore makes a point to say that Yoda is questioning everything in, in all of that. You know, first of all, what's happening with Anakin? That's not good. Um, second of all, Qui-Gon? Like, that shouldn't be possible, but it is. Mm-hmm. And, and that's something that he decides to keep to himself. Um, which ends up getting played out through the Clone Wars too, because uh, we saw in, in the Yoda arc that that's when he finally kind of starts hinting at the fact that, yeah, he, he's kind of heard Qui-Gon in the Force, and that shouldn't be possible. Um, and they think he's going crazy uh, because he's saying stuff like that. And and they kind of, that kind of gets seeded here in the novel, is that he's like, that's... I don't know how to explain that. So let's just not say anything about it. Um, which I thought was interesting. Like the grandmaster of the whole Jedi council is like, no, no, that's, that's too out of the realm of possibility for me to even talk about. So Mm -hmm. yeah, I was like, that was interesting, but yeah, it was during that meditation on the, on the dark side when all of that went down for Yoda. So I thought that was yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. How about the fact that we get our our first scene with Django and Boba um, comes very early, well, not very early, but much earlier than the movie, at least. But mm-hmm. in the in the book, we get a scene of them fishing together. Uh, you know, yeah, they're that was amazing by the sitting on the bay of Topoka City. <laughs> you know, I, I the novel was so great because it really establishes the the bond between. Django and Boba, and you know, in the movie we get, yeah, he kind of wanted a a kid, but here he he's almost like out playing catch with him. Mm-hmm. You know, he's got yeah. thing, yeah. he's teaching him how to hunt, he's teaching him, you know, how to use a ship and stuff like that. And it's just like their their bond is great; it's really well explored. Yeah, and yeah, and there's even a point in there where uh, I it, part of the reason Django wants all that is because. It, I think it's explicitly said that he always wished he had a father. He had so, it exactly. Yeah, yeah um, it, that was something. I really thought the Book of Boba Fett might have done a little bit of exploration about like Django and and like right, like because we get the 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 statement in, in season two of Mandalorian that he he fought in the Mandalorian clone or Civil War or whatever. <laughs> Again, that was one of the. 
not to be a jerk, but one of the many failings of Book of Boba Fett for me is the fact that they didn't do anything like that. The, the world building was left a lot to be desired in my book. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah. but be that as it may, like it's so cool in this book, like getting some explanation as to why you know he wants uh, this exact clone of him, and even uh, um, not Lamasu, uh, Tan Wei says, you know, he wanted an exact clone of himself. Curious, <laughs> you know, like mm-hmm. like they don't really know why, they don't care. Um, they're just that's what he wants in payment. Cool, we'll give you that. Um, but then you know these little scenes like that, it's it's he wants Boba. I mean, it's it's interesting. He wants Boba to be the most perfect, incredible bounty hunter, um, and and also wants to be the father that he never had. Um, curious if you, so I'll make this statement and then I want to know what you two think. Um, but it's not like, it's not like Django has this like bleeding compassionate heart for Boba per se. Right. Um, like he does love him in, in, in his own way. Um, but it's, it's very, it's, it's a lot of like tough love in a sense. Um, but, uh, yeah, like he he's trying to hone him into being the best bounty hunter. So yeah, it, it's he, he, go sorry. Ahead. No, go, go ahead. ahead, Jazz. Please. No, I, I was basically just thinking the fact that you know some of the lessons that he t- teaches him is almost like how to be a d- dispassionate person. Yes. This is how to yes. help somebody without actually having to think about the implications of it. Mm-hmm. Jazz. That's Really well done. Uh, yeah, and thank you for saying that because that was the word I was searching for, but my brain couldn't arrive at it. it was dispassionate because <laughs> that that is I think that's actually the word used several times in in those scenes. And what I was thinking about in that dialogue is I think in a way that's part of why we as the readers would probably in a it, it kind of indict Django as being somewhat the villainous characters because like wow to be dispassionate about killing that's not a good thing but you know who else are incredibly dispassionate in the prequel trilogy the jedi damn right <laughs> so <Yeah. laughs> i just thought like wow wow interesting that like here we are seeing like a a, a, a Django passing on this somewhat destructive life lesson to be dispassionate and then we're like wait a minute the jedi do that too that's not such oh. a good thing. <laughs> yeah. 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 No, it's, it's, it's a very interesting parallel that R.A. Salvatore is, is making. Mm-hmm. I, he's not really telling us what to do with it. He's mm-hmm. just sort of presenting it and saying, here's this, <laughs> make of it what you will. So, <laughs> and, and it's really fascinating because you know, you, you see the Jedi operate in a very dispassionate manner. Obi-Wan is, is you know, very good at this. Mace Windu and Yoda, uh, they, they operate very dispassionately a lot of the time, even if they do, you know, sort of have a compassion to them. It's still, you know, the, the way it's at least expressed is often dispassionate. Uh, whereas Django and Boba are dispassionate as a means of survival, um and a means of of making money uh because if you are too compassionate as a bounty hunter you're not gonna do the job well um and and that sort of thing so it is a it is a mode of survival and you see that too because uh boba you know starts talking to Django about you know ship specs or you know creatures and like what abilities they might have and and he's eager to see the the arena contest the execution because he wants to see if the stories he's read about the accolade are actually true you know 
So it's 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 an interesting dichotomy and kind of a little concerning, but at the same time you also get this moment where Django tells Boba he's he's proud of him mm-hmm. and it's like the best thing in the world to Boba yeah. to even hear that. You know, even mm-hmm. though they are dispassionate in a sense, they still have this connection where it's a father-son thing. It's a very odd relationship that works, but not in any way that I would ever want to, to live. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's almost a little bit like, you know, I don't know, dysfunctional. But I can also see the fact that, okay, all, all Boba wants in life really is to please his dad, to make his dad mm. proud. And that is actually something very human. Like yeah. most people want to make their parents proud. Yeah. And and that's a great point, Jazz, because you're really onto something there of just, again, like really establishing the fact that they are father-son, right? Like the fact that he mm-hmm. is a clone never seems to impact Boba's way of thinking. Like, uh, you know, there's a few little moments there where we get kind of Django's inner monologue of of understanding that, like, yes, this is my clone. This is literally little me. Um, mm-hmm. But it doesn't, like, it doesn't warp the relationship, you know, at all. It is father-son, period. And and that's exactly, you're exactly on, you know, onto something there, Jazz, with the fact that that human desire to please your parent. And, um, and you know, this was, again, this is, this is obviously not something that was in R.S. Salvatore's head 20 years ago, but you know, those little, those little like caveat scenes we got in Book of Boba Fett where we see Django leaving Camino and Boba's stuck there by himself. Um, mm. right. And then and now in light of the story of Bad Batch with Omega, who's always stuck kind of by herself in Topoca city, we get this sense that Boba, I mean, Boba's literal whole world is his father. That's it. He's never, it, it seems to imply that he's never really left Camino. Um, Django, you know, he was created there and he's kind of lived his whole life there. Um, so it makes sense that his whole world revolves around his father. And while Django is like passing on these dispassionate kind of, in certain ways, cold hearted modes of survival, this is the world Django lives in and that he, he knows Boba will live in as well. So he wants him to thrive in that world. So again, like the lessons he's teaching them in a certain way are kind of messed up, but at this, but also they're quite wonderful because he really wants Boba to succeed in that really hard world. That's how much mm. he loves him. Right. So it is, it's, it is this kind of interesting dichotomy. And it's an interesting thing that they play with because they, they talk over and over and over again about how Boba is a perfect clone of Jango Fett. You know, he is a clone. He's a clone. He's a clone. But he has possibly the most human desire yeah. you know, out of any of the characters, and that's just to please his to, – to make his father proud and to have his father say that. And and like, you know, like I said, there is a moment where Jango – tells Boba he's proud of him and it's literally the greatest moment in the world mm-hmm. for Boba. And that's that's the difference between Boba Fett and any of the other clones that show up to rescue the Jedi at the end. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, well, so uh, something I kind of want to steer the conversation to is um, Anakin's experiences with Padme on Naboo. Um, Cause again, like, you know, like we've been talking about, 
there's a lot extra here. Um, again, drawing from the deleted scenes that we we do have access to, but also things that we we never saw even uh, filmed. Um, but something that really grabbed me is when they first arrive on Naboo and Padme is taking Anakin to her house. Um, <laughs> And he's just like he's in awe of everything. Like you know, we we hear about like how beautiful all the flowers smell, like the sounds of the waterfalls in the background. Like, and and right, this is this is a part of what George wanted to do with episode two. Anyways, he's taking them to this Eden-like place, right? Like it's paradise. But yeah. something R.A. Salvatore is making very explicit though is it's it's not just that like yes, everything looks pretty and it's fun to be around, but there's something specifically paradise like here and that's the ability to be with a family and when i was reading that scene of them arriving at her home what it actually made me think of was ray on pisana in episode nine right when she's she's like watching the puppet show and she's kind of like lost in the wonder of this very joyful space because again that's still something quite new to her so i just felt like oh my gosh that's like this is this is such anakin vibes as he arrives here you know i never believed there was so much green in the galaxy um you know <laughs> uh it, it, a nice reminder that there there are a lot of connections between anakin and ray um but i i love that when they show up there and and anakin is just so and he immediately starts to just be like this is perfect the but the only thing missing of course Ishmi. Mother. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's it's so perfect to him that he makes the statement, I think twice, that if he had grown up on Naboo, he never would have left. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, which is a big statement for a kid whose dream in The Phantom Menace is to go and see all the stars and all the planets that surround him. Mm. You know? So... <laughs> So that's a big statement that he feels so comfortable and in awe of everything on Naboo and that he's experiencing there that he would, you know, say, if I grew up here, I wouldn't have left. It's huge, you know? Yeah. And it, it, it revolves around Padme and it revolves around her family. Um, and just the idyllic location as well has, you know, something to do with it, but not, you know, the whole thing to do with it. Um, but yeah, it's the, a lot of great con you know stuff smack yeah. dab in the middle of this book here yeah so. yeah and um but that's going back to your point jason that you made at the start which was like the underlying theme in the book is actually family mm-hmm. yeah so yeah. I, th- I th- that was a really good spot dude <laughs> thank you <laughs> It took me all this time, you know, the book's yeah, right. been almost out for 20 years, and I, I mean, finally look, figured it out. <laughs> here, and I was like, why didn't I spot this? <laughs> so, yeah, very well spotted, dude. Thank you. But uh, uh, the whole thing about him, like, you know, observing, like, you know, Padme's family and just sort of kind of thinking, this is what I need. This is what I missed out on. This is what I should have. It's yeah. oh, it's just so well done. Yeah. Absolutely. And I I I love how quick the Naberis are to just sort of openly welcome Yeah in too. Because not only, you know, part of it is because, you know, he's a Jedi. That's obvious. Uh but part of it is because he's a friend of Padme's. And so they open him in, that they, they they welcome him in with open arms and they trust him almost implicitly. The fact that Rui, you know, even so much, you know, is like, all right, no. 
I know Padme doesn't want me to know the whole thing, but I need to know how serious this is. And he pulls Anakin aside to, to find out and, and confides in a way that's very much, you know, that's very in, in a very intimate way about someone they both very deeply care about. So, um, it's that whole section where they're with Padme's family is such a big thing for Anakin because he hasn't felt this kind of close family welcome since he left Tatooine 10 years ago. Yeah. 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 And you can just imagine that like, you know, with the Jedi, yes, he's, you know, got, you know, food and shelter and stuff like that, but you know, he doesn't have that kind of compassion and love that the, the berries are showing towards each other. And so, you know, he's seeing something that he feels that he misses out on. Yeah. Um, Cause were saying earlier carl you know they're the jedi are dispassionate yep yeah and it, he's being you know treated with you know total love total devotion and passion yeah and and like that's and that's exactly it. it's like after spending some time with her family and then and then they go off on their own right so it's it's they spend time with her family first um, mm. Sola literally says, Oh, Anakin, you're the first boyfriend Padme's ever brought around. And she's <laughs> like, Whoa, whoa, whoa that ain't my boyfriend. Um, right. But like, so there's a scene in the book though, where Sola's like, you can have this, like, don't you see the way he looks at you? Um, and, and, and this is something the book makes very explicit is the reason Padme starts to fall in love with Anakin. And I think you have to do a little bit of digging in, in just the movie to get to this. But she's falling in love with him because of how just like so devoted to her he is right from the get go. And, you know, I mean, that's very attractive. I mean, he is very handsome and she she brings that up several times that she, you know, she finds him very attractive physically speaking. But that's not enough to to make a lasting relationship, obviously. Um, But what she's falling in love with, though, is his demeanor of just complete devotion. And and she actually kind of it's this isn't obviously the language used in the book, but she finds it kind of hot that like, he's willing to just kind of ignore the fact that he's a Jedi. Like you're not really supposed to be acting like this, Anakin. He's like, screw it. I'm in, I'm obsessed with you and I'm just going to tell you and I'm going to act like I am <laughs> like, he doesn't hold that back. Um, no. and she finds that very attractive. And, you know, as they, as they leave the Naberi household, um, you know, like, <laughs> and they go off together, they've had this brief encounter of like what it might be like for them to be a, be a couple, like to be an item and to be fully accepted in, in that light. Um, and it's just like, yeah, like that's so, that's so awesome. And something else I really like it that happens between Anakin and Padme during, you know, kind of this middle act is they spend a lot of time. She spends a lot of time telling Anakin about like what it was like growing up on Naboo, how she got involved with, public service and everything. And Anakin's asking her those questions. Like we get a sense that Anakin is genuinely interested in her history. Right. And, and then he's also telling her stories about some of the exploits he's had with Obi-Wan as Obi-Wan's Padawan. And what I immediately thought of as I was reading those scenes, I was like, yeah, this is, this is two young people falling in love. Like you're telling each other, you know, you're, you're kind of like your fun life stories. Like I still fondly think that. Yeah. What, What was that jazz? 
um, who they are, where they're from, what they've done and who, what they've experienced. Yeah, exactly. Right. Like that's, that's what happens in like a lot of really good love stories is when you, when you're falling in love with somebody, you just start, you tell them your story and, and they want to hear your story. And that's what's happening in this book is there is just, there's this level of safety and that, and that comes up a lot for, for Padme's perspective. Cause again, Anakin doesn't care. He's making it very clear, like how he feels. He's not trying to hide anything. Whereas Padme no. is the one who's like, she's trying to keep it on lockdown because for her, it's like, oh, I'm devoted to this lifestyle. And also he is a Jedi. Like he can't be with me. I can't be with him. So Padme's trying to be the rational one, but at the same time, but she's just, time, you know, the one thing that I've always thought about, like, you know, Padme in the movie is that, you know, that scene with the fireplace, mm-hmm. she's wearing very revealing clothes. <laughs> and in the novel, she actually thinks about that before she puts it on. She actually, you know, goes through her head that, oh, maybe I'm wearing like, you know, the inappropriate attire. It's like, so that was a conscious choice. She knew that she was messing with him. Uh, I don't know if she was it, messing it, with him, but, no, but she it, is, it was almost a little bit mean. <laughs> <laughs> well, it goes back to what Captain Typho told Obi-Wan is, you know, yeah. Obi-Wan's like, I, you know, I hope he doesn't do anything foolish. And Typho um, says, oh. I'd be more worried about her doing something than him. <laughs> um, but like it, the whole thing, because she is the rational one. She is the one who's trying to stay rational. But ultimately, when it comes down to to the end of the day, they're about to be executed. She's like, screw rationality. I love you too. And I just want to make sure you know this. You know? Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So yeah. Um, it, she's trying to keep it all like how it should be according to, you know, their stations in life. And, and finally that, that impulsiveness that we, we see in her sometimes finally wins out and she, you know, makes the decision and it's all she wrote folks. <laughs> yeah. And when I think something else that's important is when they're spending time with her family, her, her father, that's Rui, I think is his name, right? Yeah. Rui. Yeah. Um, but he he talks about the fact that he had a very busy life when he was younger, right? He was a he was a college professor, and then he was like some sort of tradesman, um, builder. But builder, and but before all of that, like he worked with a relief society. So he makes it very clear that like he's had a full life, but he also wanted a family life. So it's like a mm-hmm. reminder that Padme doesn't have to have to be a senator forever. She doesn't have to be in the political world for her whole life. Um, she could dial back a bit if she really wants a family. And I think that like, that's good for her to see, like she gets to see modeled, um, like just the joyousness of family life. Um, and then, and then she gets to see it also a little bit later when they go to Tatooine and, um, you know, and she sees that with Klieg and Owen and Baru, and and so does Anakin. It's like you don't have to be in like beautiful Naboo to have this. You could even be in backwater Tatooine and have this. It's like you said, Jason. It's about family. Um, yeah, and that's uh, them experiencing and observing. You know, the the large family at their lowest. I mean, imagine how happy they would have been if you know Shmi had been there as well. Exactly. You know, it, it it's. It's a very interesting thing because Padme Padme does get to see, you know, particularly Baru, you know, in this this 
role as she's trying to, you know, keep the Larses together. And, you know, she, you know, she's satisfied with where she's at because she's mm-hmm. with the people that she cares about. And that's it. She doesn't, yeah. she doesn't want to travel. She doesn't think she'll ever really leave probably this sector of Tatooine. I don't think she has any <laughs> but she doesn't as- want aspirations to. to go anywhere other than right here. And she, mm-hmm. I think, and that's in the book. She says, like, I don't want to, like, I'm happy right here. Um, yeah. and, and I, and I love that because it's, um, it's a really nice, like, again, like they balance each other very well. Right. Cause some people like just fr- from the get go, like they, they always want to be out like doing something in the world. Right. Um, whereas other people are just content, like being at home, <laughs> you know? Um, and like, I honestly vibe harder with brew than I do with, with Padme in that sense. Like, I don't, I don't want to go out all across the galaxy. That sounds exhausting. I'd rather just be home chilling with my cats. So, <laughs> um, but, uh, but going with this theme of family, cause one, one character we haven't talked a lot about, and, and to be fair, there's not as much new about this character, but is Obi-Wan. Obi-Wan, um, a scene earlier in the movie, you know, when he's, when he goes to see Yoda to like ask about this missing planet of his, um, he, before he walks right into the room where Yoda's training the younglings, he kind of stops and watches for a moment. And he has this moment of reminiscence where he remembers being that youngling yeah. and, 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 and kind of just to like ride the theme you've presented us, Jason, of family. This was a, like, this is a family in its own way too. Like the way Obi-Wan is thinking about his time with Yoda as a youngling, it's like thinking of, you know, it's like him as a child with a parent. So in, in, in its own way, the Jedi order, again, the Jedi order at its best is a family that is supportive. Um, but, uh, you know, that's unfortunately not quite where they're at at this point. Um, but yeah, like it's, it's this beautiful little moment for Obi-Wan even where he's almost gets to reminisce because like, again, this, this whole story is about like things are getting bad in the galaxy. So for even Obi-Wan to stop and pause for a moment and just get to like, look back and be like, I love, you know, I love this family. I love, I love being a Jedi. Right. And that's, and that's, and that's what we all love about Obi-Wan Kenobi. Right. Is he is the quote, like, you know, perfect Jedi because he really loves what the Jedi stand for at, you know, at their best, you know? Um, right. And so I, I love that little moment. And it's, it's a great scene, you know, just in the movie too, but like in the book, the whole scene is, is fantastic. The way that it, it plays out uh, with Yoda and Obi-Wan. And it, it almost is like, you know, coming to your, your dad or your uncle for advice and uh, turning it to, all those present, you know, oh, so what do you want to say on this? And, you know, it, it's, it's such a great moment because uh, even even the younglings teach the master sometimes. I, I, I just love that. And Obi-Wan is reminded of that, that this whole thing is a family. And it's not just the moments that he had with Yoda back in the day, but it's also these younglings, too, yeah. are part of all of this. Yep. So, uh, and, and I think that's great. Yeah, there's there's not a lot, um, there's not a lot explored uh, in that regard. Uh, yeah, yeah. There's, I mean, but again, mm-hmm. there's hints at it. There's hints at it because you know it's sort of mentioned a little bit when you know Obi Wan is you know waiting on Jacosta New because he kind of gives the history of her being in the library a little bit. Yeah. Um, 
So it's it's like you know you you get little glimpses of it, and Obi Wan is is thinking about oh it's you know old Jacosta, and uh, I miss those times with Yoda, and you know that sort of thing. And he kind of has those moments where he's like I I remember the this you know with this Jedi or that master or whatever. It's nice, but it, yeah. it's just kind of peppered in there a little bit. Well, and 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 as I was reading those those little like yeah, as they are kind of peppered in there. As I was reading those this time, and again, anytime we consume Star Wars material, even if it's going back to something and reconsuming Star Wars material, you can't help but think about what's coming up in Star Wars. So as I read some of the Kenobi scenes, I was thinking of the upcoming show for him, and what really struck me was the fact that. You know, it's always kind of been implied both in the prequels and in the Clone Wars series that Obi-Wan does kind of like he likes meditating. He likes his alone time. Um, But at the same time, like he spent his whole life, I mean, up till episode three in the Jedi Temple, in this family structure. And the thing that it kind of made me think about was like how much I loved when I was in college living in a suite of like some of my best friends. Like I was surrounded by my friends all the time. Even if I wanted my alone time, they were always around if you needed anybody. Just think of like that psychological split, though, when that's no longer available to you. Like now he's just completely isolated in a desert, right? Like just think how much that's going to that's going to beat him down in his psyche, right? Like he's going from being surrounded by friends and family every day to nobody, (laughs) you know? Yeah, that's oof. That sucks. Yeah, that's yeah, that sucks. That's a big change for sure. Oi. Which makes me think about that, you know, one of those pictures that we've seen from the upcoming show of him, like, sitting in the cave there, you know, and you were kind of assuming that he's doing some meditating. I like the fact that in the novel, they mention the fact that Obi-Wan has premonitions, because that's not something that we get in the mm. in the movie. Yeah. But I really like that, that he was, like, basically, he, he was envisioning Anakin and Padme in trouble. Yeah, I forgot about that, Jazz. And I thought that was pretty cool because I was like a side of Obi-Wan that I don't think we've really seen before. No, you're right. And it is one of those things where it doesn't seem like the way he reacts, it doesn't seem like he has them often, but he Mm -hmm. gets them sometimes because it's like he's he's wondering, is this something that has happened? Is this something happening right now? Is this a premonition of something that might happen? What is this? Uh, Unfortunately, I don't have time to think about that right now. I've got something else on my mind. Yeah, Obi Wan's always got somewhere, somewhere to go. Yes, somewhere to go. Always on the move. This, yep, always on the move. Um, Got to go visit Dex again. You notice know. the the one other thing that I noticed about Obi Wan, um, since we're talking about him, yeah, was something that I didn't really like actually, which was um, you know, just before the the car chase, if you want to call it that, the speeder <laughs> chase on Coruscant, um, and he falls down from the droid and he starts screaming. I was like, mm. that. Is- Obi-Wan. Obi-Wan yeah. is so calm, cool, and collected, he would just fall in silence. Yes. As he does in the movie. <laughs> As the movie, exactly. Like that, that big mistake they made in the uh, 97 release of the special edition in theaters when they threw a scream in for Luke when he when he jumps off the, you know, the, the weather vane in uh, uh, yeah, City. Right. In 97, they not just any birds. Not just any scream, it's the Palpatine scream from Return yeah. of the Jedi. It's <laughs> crazy. Just pitched a little differently. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, uh, well, so let me, let's see. Uh, well, one other thing. 
Um, oh my gosh. Oh, something I wanted to point out that I thought was um, really worth noting. Um, we do get a few scenes of Shmi as a captive of the Tuscans. Not they're not they're not mm. extensive, but we do get a few scenes where like she's kind of coming in and out of consciousness. She, she's dreaming of Anakin. She has. You know, it, it, she has opposites of dreams of what Anakin's dreaming about of her. You know, she's dreaming of him out there as a hero in the galaxy fighting for people who are the downtrodden, I believe, is the word that's actually used. Um, and also, it, think or dream or fantasize about 3PO. Yeah. Well, she yeah, she yeah, she remembers how she yeah, like one final thing she felt a connection to her son with was she could finally put coverings on 3PO. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so that that comes back to her in that moment, and she she's having trouble remembering if that was years ago or just like two days ago, uh, because she's so you know out of it at the time. But yeah, she's that's that's definitely something that comes up because of as you said, Carl, her connection, Anakin with that that act because Anakin of course built three PO for her. Yeah. So well, and and the she thing- held. We find out she held off on on putting his coverings on for a while because she was hoping oh, Anakin would come yeah. back and finish him. <laughs> but the but what else was I thought imp- important about those scenes is Shmi understands what the Tuscans are doing and she understands that they're testing her. Again, like we, and this is something we see in Book of Boba Fett. It's something uh, we talked about on previous shows when we were talking Book of Boba Fett because because again I loved how what they did with the Tuscans in that show was, I mean, they really drew on all sorts of indigenous cultures and something that was huge for, especially native Americans was when you captured a prisoner. And a lot of times you took prisoners because there was a death in your family and you wanted to replace your family unit. Um, And unlike Western Europeans who are racist, (laughs) um, native Americans were happy to take anybody white, black didn't matter to them. Um, But Shmi understands that they're testing her. They're testing her to see if she can become part of the tribe. Um, and she notes how they've been very impressed with her ability to take these these beatings. And, and again, in like our westernized minds, which we've also always been indoctrinated with always calling the other savages, which is disgusting, but um, we, we fail to understand how those cultures work. So we just demonize them. Shmi doesn't even demonize them. Her own husband sure as hell does, but not even Shmi does because she understands that this is part of their cultural sensibilities. So, yes, like us, we observe this as nothing more than horror. It's nothing more than barbarity and torture. But even Shmi understands that they're they're doing this for a reason. Um, And like, yes, it unfortunately leads to her demise. But I thought that was really interesting that Ari Salvatore puts that in the book. It almost as if to like cool the heat against the Tuscans. Right. Um, so I, I just, I was really blown away that that was in there, that, that Shmi understands what they're doing. Um, I don't think she likes it obviously. Um, but it, there's at least this sensibility that she understands culturally why this is important for them. Um, so I thought that was really interesting to, to have been put in there. Absolutely. You can tell that this, novel was written like 20 years ago because i think there are certain tropes to do with the tuscans that wouldn't really make it into a movie or a book these days um but already then you can see that like Klieg and um shmi have completely different outlooks on the tuscans and the tuscan culture yeah yeah so i think that was really really very interesting well, um, and I, 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 
uh, the whole sort of treatment of the of the Tuscan culture in the years since then, and especially like you know these past couple of years, has been really really helpful. Oh yeah, and not yeah. just in Star Wars Galaxy, but for us as well. Right. Yeah. Well, it's it's definitely uh, you know a, a different look at the Tuscans than than what we're getting. Well, that's for sure. Um, but uh, you know you can still see uh, where where the the inspirations or the lines that uh, of of what we're now getting are coming from. You know they're still buried in in the text here. Uh, with with Shmi understanding what's what's going on, you know, obviously, like Carl said, doesn't like what's happening, and mm. Kleeg is very very anti Tuscan. You know, he's probably lost more family members than just Shmi to the Tuscan. Mm-hmm. If I were to hazard a guess, you know, it, the Tuscans embody pain and suffering for Shmi or for for uh, Kleeg yeah. because they've taken everything that he cares about almost except mm-hmm. Owen at this point is my guess. Yeah. Uh, and at this, and, and at this point in his life in particular, Shmi is his world now, yep. you know, he's finally found happiness again mm-hmm. and that's just been ripped away from him. And, he, and now he can't even do anything about it because he's lost his leg, uh, lost dozens of friends uh, mm-hmm. to, to these people. Uh, as he says, you know, the, well, he doesn't even call them people either. They're monsters to yeah, clean. Yeah. Um, but you know, it's, it, it is interesting that even with that bluster and, and fury on his end, Shmi still has the, the wherewithal to, to see the reasoning, whether she agrees with it or not right. behind the Tuscans actions. Right. So, yeah. And, and again, like it's, it's, not to imply that what the Tuscans are doing is like, therefore, okay. Um, right. No, but, not. but like, <laughs> right. Uh, but, it, but again, I think it's, it's important because like, you're right. They don't get any sort of fleshing out in that movie as well. Um, and so like when Anakin goes in and slaughters them, like we as an audience, like again, in like kind of like our black and white morality tells us like, Oh my God, that's terrible. Like he, he slaughters people. And then we even learn he slaughters innocent people. Um, but I think that even a point like that, um, like being in there to, um, <laughs> to to that moment with Shmi is to kind of remind us as the audience that like the Tuscans aren't pure evil, right? Like they they have a very harsh way of living, as M- the Mando tells people in <laughs> uh, in the Marshall episode of season two, right? They have a hard life, um, mm. but uh, but. Anakin is just like Kleeg. All he's being driven by is, is his anger. And again, like it does not to dismiss the anger. Kleeg has every right to be angry at them. He has every right to like have this strong disdain of them for, for like you said, Jason, like ripping away his world. And of course, Anakin's going to feel that too. Um, But that's actually, that's the next thing I kind of just want to point out is in the novel, we actually get to see Anakin exacting his vengeance. It's vengeance. Yeah. Um, that's obviously and, and not that, in the movie. <laughs> yeah. If that scene uh, at the beginning of the book where the Tuscans, you know, massacred the, the settlers was brutal. Mm. This is more so Oma. Yeah. So, yeah. cause, yeah. cause it's, you know, there's moments where it's like, you know, 
there's a woman coming out of a tent with a pail of dirty water. He sees her and he just charges at her, you know. And then there's a child, you know, who's running through the tents and stops and surprised when he sees Anakin. And Anakin just continues towards him, too. And it's just like, oh, okay. Ah, it's not good. It's not it, good at all. Like, you know, you know that it happened because, like, you know, Anakin actually admits to it. But it's like to actually read it on the page is a completely different thing. Yeah. And, and. And like I think it's it's just it's so well written. Um, like something that something I found really disgusting was there were some Star Wars fans like just a year or two ago that wanted to see more of Order sixty six. Like they want to see Anakin slaughtering the younglings. They're like I want to see that. It's like yo, bro, you're pretty disgusting that you want to see <laughs> that. But at the same, and, and I only bring that up to like point out that this I'm not trying to imply that this is what I wanted in Attack of the Clones. It was like I didn't need to see Anakin do that. But there was a power to reading it, like you're saying, Jazz, and, and like you're saying, Jason, to like is as horrifying as the Tuscan massacre of the set, you know, of the of the the settlers at the beginning is. This is just as horrifying, if not worse. Um, yeah. And like, so to get to read it, and it, it doesn't like it doesn't glory in it. It's not giving you all these like sick visceral details, but it's just telling you like how how warped Anakin is in that scene. So getting to see him in there, because we all know that, that that is the scene in this movie that shows us who Anakin is going to become, right? Like it is very clearly, like, this is, it this actually, is, go ahead, Jess. really upset me when I read this because I was like, you know, I was in a stage where I was like, no, Anakin, don't do it. Really don't do it. Yeah. And it, it was almost as if I was reading the story for the first time because like, of course, we know that he's doing it, and they, you know he's going to turn into Darth Vader. But I was like, there has to be some way for him to avoid doing this. Yeah, yeah. But I, path is already chosen. Yeah. Um, well, and what's it? And what we what we learn in the book during that scene is Anakin hears Qui Gon. Like it's told to us that Anakin yeah. hears Qui Gon but ignores him. Ah, yeah. because. You know, not only does Yoda hear Qui Gon, but Anakin does. That was the that was a yeah. crazy thing. Because in the movie, it's only implied that that Yoda yep. hears. Yeah. Um, but here, R.A. Salvatore says, "Yeah, no, Anakin heard him. He just ignored it." Uh, which is a huge thing because Qui Gon is, you know, such a revered person in yeah. Anakin's life. Yeah, you know. Uh, you know, in the moment, he probably doesn't even realize who it was to if we're going to, you know, try and logic it away. Um, but still, you know, there's got to be some sort of recognition there somewhere. Yeah. And he just ignored it because he was too hurt, too mm-hmm. angry to care. And I just finished reading Queen's Hope, which I believe you are listening to soon, Jason, by E.K. Johnson. I will be, yeah. But uh very slight spoiler here. It's it's not a plot spoiler, but there's a scene early in the book where because Anakin and it, the book starts with Anakin and Padme on Naboo right after Attack of the Clones, so it take it picks up right before their wedding. Um, and Anakin Queen's Hope. Queen's Hope, yep. Um, and Anakin goes to the shrine that's been set up on on Naboo for Qui Gon, so they still have a shrine to Qui Gon because they're you know they 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 honor him for giving his life to help defend the people of Naboo. Um, and Anakin's there and he goes there to apologize to Qui-Gon for not listening to him in the Tuscan camp. Uh, it's a pretty cool moment. Um, 
Like, and he's like, I don't know if you can hear me. I don't. And like, he doesn't, he's like, I'm not sure if you hear me or whatever. And he's like, I also don't know what you'd think about me about to get married. (laughs) But like, like he goes there to like confess all these things to Qui-Gon and he he apologizes for having ignored him in the desert. It's like, it's a really cool little moment. Um, Oh, this one's like brand new. I haven't even heard of it. Yeah. It just came out like a couple months ago. Yeah. Not even that April 5th. Yeah. So, yeah. So a few weeks ago, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's really good. Um, but okay, uh, I'll have to pick that up. The, I, it, as we were just talking, um, I just quickly like grabbed my book and was like, just scanned that section of the, the book again with the Tuscan camp. What's interesting to note is actually is Anakin's destructive force is literally using the force. Most of the way he kills the Tuscans in that scene is actually throwing boulders on top of tents. Um, so it just, it just, it had such Darth Vader vibes, right? Cause whenever we see Vader, like just wrecking people in, uh, the original trilogy, it's usually just using the force. Like he never pulls out his lightsaber and cuts someone down. Right. Um, he's always using the force. So it's, it's again, when I say it's cool, I don't mean it's cool that Anakin is committing murder, but what's fascinating is, is just the connection, how strongly the book connects the way he commits murder to being like Darth Vader, right? It's, it's, he's using the force to choke people, to throw things to, he's not really using his lightsaber the whole time. He's mostly using the force. And it just like, it just shows how, how powerful Anakin really is. Yeah. It's a good point. It's a very good point. It's the style of, of Anakin in raid mm. is different than the style of Anakin normally. Yeah. Um, so that's that's the great point to to make. It's interesting. I'm gonna have to go back and. Yeah this 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 book is it's a feast, man. There's so much in it. <laughs> it's um, a really good one, folks. It really is. Um, I just saw that it's a YA. That's why I haven't actually caught yeah. it on my radar. Yeah, it it reads super fast. It's a short book. I mean, it, you can. You, if you're a fast reader, you could probably literally read this in an afternoon. Like it goes very quickly. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, it's, oh my goodness. So um, when, uh, when Anakin's off looking for his mother, we get a really cool little scene in the garage where Padme gives 3PO an oil bath. That was like pretty cool. I like that. <laughs> just that was just like awesome. her son is going to do 20 years later. <laughs> yep. Yep, pretty much. It, it was great because she was she was doing it, you know. Obviously, she's she's you know, she likes three PO, and it's it's Anakin's droid, so that's helpful. But she's doing it because she can't sleep because mm-hmm. uh, she's worried about Anakin and what will happen uh, if he can't find me, and what will happen if he does. You know, so she's worried about Anakin and and what he's up to if he's going to be safe and what state he's going to be in if he gets back. And so she goes in and, and uh, gives all three of you an oil bath. <laughs> and he's so grateful. <laughs> yeah. I like how he talks about how things are itchy and scratchy. Three yeah. <laughs> is just reminding what Anakin told us about sand y'all. <laughs> Coarse, rough, irritating, and it gets everywhere. Uh, 3PO would 100% agree with that statement. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, 
and and again, like this is just a general, just a general thought. It's not something specific, but what I real what I got a strong vibe of from the book. Again, at this point in the book, when Anik comes back, they bury his mother, and then they are whisked off in, onto Geonosis, essentially to, at the start of a war. What really hit me as I was reading the book, because again, we get a lot more of like internal character conflict, is just really how. <laughs> how traumatized Anakin is when he comes back with his mother and then boom, he's you know, basically going off to war. Like he never mm. gets to process that. And the scene, you know, like, I mean, it's one of my favorite scenes in all of star Wars is, you know, the scene in, in the garage with him and Padme and when he confesses to what he's done. And, but like his, his complaining about Obi-Wan in the book felt a lot more visceral in the sense of like, he really does see Obi-Wan as an impediment. Like, Right. He's supposed to be the chosen one. I should have been able to save my mother like Obi-Wan and this Jedi order is impeding who I am. Right. Like and I really felt that for Anakin as I was reading the book is like, yeah, Anakin really like he really is a frustrated character. Like he's he's toted as this chosen one. But like he just like in his mind, he's just a tool and he hates that. Yeah, and and the thing is, is that he, you know, we we hear Obi Wan and and Yoda and and Mace Windu talk about how they don't really know what the chosen one is. This Anakin doesn't either. Right. He's like, I'm supposed to be the chosen one, but I don't know what that is. And if I'm supposed to be that, why aren't they letting me be that? And you know, or find out what that is. And you know, part of it's just his impetuous nature, but part of it is just, he feels frustrated because of, of, of where he's at and where he thinks he should be. Um, so sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so for the sake of time, I'm going to start like collecting last thoughts from, from the both of you. Um, the last big thing I wanted to point out that I thought was really interesting because this was in the novel and it's not in the movie. Um, and again, we are, I'm, I'm leaving out other things as well. There's again, there's a lot in this book that is not in the movie. <laughs> um, but the scene, the interrogation scene between Obi-Wan and Dooku, Dooku tells yep. Obi-Wan that Newt Gunray came to him and told him about Sidious and Dooku told the council, but they didn't believe yep. him. And I was like, Whoa, that's huge. That's so huge. What did you guys think of that? Um, yeah, exactly. First of all, huge. Secondly, it was like, why would Gunray talk to Dooku? Mm. But yeah, it would have been like, if they'd actually like listened to him, they could have changed so much. Yep. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You know, and, and that's, you know, in the movie, he just says that Dooku came to me for help uh, or uh, that Newt Gunray came to me for help, and you know this is what he told me. He doesn't yeah. say he told the council. council at all in the movie. That's that's definitely something that was added into the novel. I'm I'm curious to know if that was in the original script or if R. A. Salvatore put that in on his own volition. Um, but yeah, that's big because if Dooku is telling the truth there, and that's not a given. Mm-hmm. Um, but don't but- the was tell truths. I never believe them. Half truths. Sith don't. The Sith tell the truth, but not the whole truth. Um, And that's where they get you. Uh, (laughs) But I, you know, and if Dooku 
is telling the truth to Obi-Wan that he told the council this, then that's major. Mm -hmm. That's a big, big, you know, blunder on the part of the council. Uh, But it's not something that's ever referenced by any of the other characters anywhere else. So I, that's part of why I question whether or not Dooku is actually telling the truth there. Obi-Wan, um, even in the, you know, the world of the novel. Um, so, but it's a big one because whether it's true or not, it's supposed to give, it's supposed to make Obi-Wan question the council. Um, and, and that's, that's what that revelation by Duke was designed to do. Mm-hmm. Is Duke is trying to put a wedge between Obi-Wan and the Jedi right there. And Obi-Wan's stubborn and refuses to take the bait. Um, but that's what Dooku's trying to do. Yeah. Trying to put that wedge between Obi-Wan and the, and the Jedi Council. And well, one thing that makes me think why this could actually be true that Dooku did tell the council the the scene um you know it's in the movie when Mace says to Yoda like I think it's time we inform the the Senate that our ability to use the forces diminish only the dark lord of the Sith knows of our weakness so Yoda seems to imply they know there's a dark lord out there I mean again like the end of um Phantom Menace like the question is left floating like but which was destroyed the master of the apprentice oh, Right. Um, but like there are a couple of times in Attack of the Clones where it's in, it does seem clear that like Yoda and Mace are aware that there is a Sith Lord out there. Um, so oh, yeah. perhaps that's why that line is in there, because, you know, again, we can only speculate, Jason, but maybe that really wasn't one of the earlier drafts of the script is Dooku really does say like, hey, I told the council they didn't buy it. Um, so who knows? It's possible. Yeah, it's possible. You know, possible. Um, but what, so from kind of like the, just the last little bit of the, the book here, um, or not even, you don't have to relegate yourself to that, but any other big things that you feel like we haven't touched on that you, that either of you wanted to touch on from the book? Um, there's, I I love the fact that we get so many, many details when it comes to the characters. Um, I find that some of the other scenes, like, you know, whether they're chase scenes or whether they are. Um, fight scenes are kind of slightly differently um, dealt with in the novel than they are in the book. Like the the chase scene on Coruscant is a lot longer. There's a lot mm-hmm. of extra stuff, which I like. I'm, I'm assuming, Carl, you weren't that much of a fan of it, you know, not being a fan of chase scenes. Um, the end battle is, of course, a lot shorter or mm-hmm. feels a little bit rushed. Um, the fight between... Obi-Wan and Django also seemed a lot longer while yeah. the chase scene and the asteroid field seems less spectacular. So, mm-hmm. so it, there were you know a lot of differences, but I thought they worked very well. It's like just two different ways of telling the same story. Yeah. Well, actually real quick, Jazz, I like that you brought up the Obi-Wan Django fight because in the novel, it's, it's a much scarier fight for Obi-Wan. Like Obi-Wan recognizes like, boy, I barely squeezed out of that. And there's like this quick moment of reflection where he's like, I beat a Sith Lord and like this guy almost bested me. So again, like it's a really cool point to like, really, it's really there to prop up Django. Like, wow, Django is, he's a bad. And um, (laughs) Mace Windwood on Geonosis concedes as well that Django, it was a very worthy opponent. Yep. Great yeah. point, Jazz. Oh, yeah. What's what's also funny is that Django, in not so many words, says a sim, you know, 
it thinks a similar thing about Obi-Wan. It's like, I barely got out of that. So, yeah. you know. Yeah. And uh, Boba's like, no, you got him, Dad. You got him. It's like, uh, <laughs> almost <laughs> didn't. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But once again, like, you know, the typical uh, son who doesn't want to believe that Dad can be beaten by anyone. Right. Right. Great point, Jazz. <laughs> exactly. Um, exactly. Well, and then th- actually one other fight that is a little bit different in the book is when, uh, Anakin fights Dooku at the end. Um, it's actually oh, Anakin in the book is presented as like, he actually does a really good job against Dooku. Like, yes, he gets bested still, but in the movie, mm-hmm. it's like, it's a pretty short fight and he gets, he kind of just gets smacked down pretty quickly. But in the, in the book, it's like, um, Oh wow, Anakin's putting up a fight. And this is one thing my buddy Greg always has it. He's like he's always like, I hate how Obi-Wan just lays there on the floor. In the novel, he does try to get up to help Anakin, but he just doesn't have enough strength. So that and mm-hmm. that's when he picks up the lightsaber and throws it to Anakin. Um, so yeah. cool little cool little tidbit there. Yeah. It it makes me me think that well, I, I think a lot of why some of these big battle sequences uh might be a bit shortened. Um, mm-hmm. it's probably because they were still in the process of trying to figure out what it was going to look like in the edit. Great um, yeah. There's not like a lot of dialogue or character stuff that happens in those. Um, that's super important. So, you know, I, I think that's, that's going to be a large reason. And they were, this is a movie that was notorious for basically being edited up until the last possible mm-hmm. second that yeah. it could have been. Um, so yeah, that was, that's a big part of it. Um, I think, and and a lot of the extra stuff from the chase scene in the beginning was actually filmed. Filmed, so, but exactly, yeah. Cut for time because it was already such a long sequence. <laughs> I, I could do with more chase scenes. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, um, I, Carl, I don't think I have anything else in particular I wanted to bring up. I think I, I think we've hit on all the major topics I wanted to say. So unless there was anything else in particular, we'd probably start wrapping this up. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I, I like, again, is there other stuff? Absolutely. But for time's sake, yeah, I think this is, <laughs> I, I do have a lot, a bunch of uh, notes, but now nah, I think we've hit the most important stuff. Yeah. Well, and honestly, you know, if, 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 if for all of you still listening, which is hopefully, everyone who started listening. Um, (laughs) If nothing else, I hope this encourages you to either pick the book back up again or pick it up for the first time. Like, cause again, like we have, we've delved into a lot of what's extra in there, but it's really fun to just read it. Like, um, I mean, it's, it's like every page is like, it's like, Whoa, that's new. Whoa, that's new. Like there, there is there, like you said, jazz, I mean, there, there's still so much more in here, but so all all this stuff is just to kind of give you a, a, really good sense of like how much richness is in this book. So, uh, you know, my hope is that if, if again, if you're listening, you, you might, you might give the book, a another, another visit. Cause it's, it's worth it. Especially again with the 20th anniversary next month, like what better way to celebrate than rereading the story. Exactly. And, uh, as, as you can probably tell everyone here on this podcast loves attack of the clone. So, yeah. <laughs> Um, I, I'm glad we decided to, to do this, Carl, for part of our, our celebration of the 20th anniversary of Attack of the Clones because it's been far too long since I've revisited this novel and very, very glad that I did. So thank you for pushing 
uh, this this is a as an episode this month. So <laughs> I'm happy to do it. Just here to serve, Jason. <laughs> um, Excellent. And I was very happy to be once, as Jason says, pushed into rereading a book that I've read before, but I haven't actually picked up in several years, and thoroughly enjoyed rereading it, and enjoyed even more talking to you guys about it, and like you know, hearing your thoughts and sharing some of my thoughts. Yeah. No. I. Well, like <laughs> this, right, Jazz? I think I. I think I. Um reached out to you a while ago because i was like dude you got to get on the show at some point for uh for our <laughs> attack of the clones month and i was like we're gonna do a um we're gonna do a, a novel review you in and you were so fast you're like yep <laughs> yes Oops. Oh. It, it doesn't take a lot to get jazz to talk about attack of the clones which means he fits right in here with the wampas lair so <laughs> absolutely back to mondo <laughs> all right awesome. well i think that's about it carl i think that'll do it um and you know obviously hopefully you've been on our attack of the clones journey since last week and we're going to continue that like i said for the next couple of weeks uh we're going to start diving into the movie uh in three parts we're going to just like every skywalker saga movie there's three acts in the movie, so we are going to spend one week each on each act of Attack of the Clones starting next week. So next week, hopefully you'll join us for an in-depth discussion of Act 1 of Attack of the Clones. I'm excited. Very excited. <laughs> so, All right. Well, Carl. Yes? If people want to uh, weigh in on any of their thoughts from their reads of the Attack of the Clones novel or want to share any of their thoughts on... Uh, the stuff that we brought to the table today, where can people do that? Well, they can, of course, do it on Twitter at Wampas Lair, and we're also on Instagram at The Wampas Lair. Or they can always email us at wampaslairpodcast at gmail.com. Excellent. And uh, anything else, gentlemen, before we close down this episode? Just a thank you to Jazz. I mean, as we record tonight, like it's getting a little late for me, but it's literally like the middle of the night for jazz over in norway so jazz thanks for making the time to do this with us buddy it's all good there's one thing that always keeps me up at night and that's star wars <laughs> talking to good friends so i'm all happy oh, so glad you were Excellent. with us so yes, yeah thank and thank may you the so much be with you fellas and may the force be with you jazz thank you so much for joining us tonight and thank you, everyone, for listening to this episode of the Wampas Lair Podcast. It's been episode number 465, Attack of the Clones, novel review for Carl and Jazz. I'm Jason, and we'll see you next time here in the Wampas Lair. Wampas Lair.